catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 107. You have this narrative that like there are good people and there are bad people, and the reality is there are people, each one with complexity and nuance that like goes for days. Britt Barron is a speaker, teacher, and author of the just-released book, Worth It. Overcome your fears and embrace the life you were made for. Britt spent the first part of her life in the evangelical church and eventually became a pastor at a megachurch at the ripe age of 26. After peaking too soon, she started to understand more about herself, her dreams, and her sexuality. She met a woman named Sammy that changed, saved, and transformed her whole life. Meeting Sammy, leaving the church, coming out, and getting married have given Britt a deep-seated passion for reminding people that choosing freedom is always worth it, no matter the cost. Britt and Sammy just moved to Austin, Texas with their dog, Charles Barkley, and their house full of plants that they treat like children. Britt is equally passionate about having honest and at times difficult conversations and finding joy every single day and making time to have as much fun as possible. I'm so excited to have Britt on the show today. And if you're thinking, wait a second, this sounds familiar, you're right. This is Britt's third time on the show. She was on the show, I think, way back in season one. Don't quote me on that, but season one, Britt and Sammy were on the show together. She was also back on the show by herself. And now she's on the show again to talk about this new book, Worth It. And Britt's one of my favorite guests to have on the show. Just thrilled to have her back no announcements for today so let's just go ahead and dive in Britt, hi welcome welcome back hello happy so happy to be back oh my gosh so i i was thinking this is like you've hit this like club of people of 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 such a small group of people who have been on this show three times at this point it's like me by default now it's you Jennifer Knapp and Robin Henderson Espinoza. So four hey, wow. people in this club. So Great welcome, company. welcome to the club. <laughs> yes. Do we have jackets or how do we? I haven't decided yet. Okay. That's a good idea. Let's get jackets. I would yeah. love jackets. Cool. Let's make it happen. So because these things do shift and change throughout time, I, I will still ask you the question that I start every episode with. And that is, how do you identify? And how has your faith helped form that identity? Such a great question. You would think, I feel embarrassed now that you've said how many times I've been on, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is how we start. <laughs> you could have thought about this at a time. Oh, nah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How do I identify? I am a person. I identify as 
female, lesbian, kind of tall, and kind of Christian, <laughs> then I'm also somebody's wife. That's very important identity to me. And I mean, that's not it, but those are that's what initially comes to mind. How has faith helped? You know, helped is an interesting word. <laughs> I feel like faith has in some ways reverse helped me figure that out. I don't know. I guess I'm right in the middle, actually, of kind of being like, what could have been good about that situation growing up in the church? Like, I'm at that part of processing in my therapy. And so I feel like there is this purity to the Christian narrative that says, like, there is life after death. After the hardest thing you've got through, you can get back up. Like, there is, I feel like I have this sort of, like, fighter's mentality and this, like, grit about me and I do think like that was informed by that like early pure true Christian narrative before it sort of got like muddled down by by other things and it almost started like that narrative started competing with the other narratives of like you can't do this you're a woman you can't do this you're gay like you you know but I was like but the purity of the story tells me I could so I don't know I've, my faith has both helped and not helped my identity in so many ways yeah, I mean, I feel like that's just such an honest answer, right? Like, <laughs> even even when I think about that question, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, how how did it help for my identity? <laughs> right, yeah. I'm like, it was... Did it? <laughs> yeah, like, wait, did did or no? It did it? Uh, but that idea, though, of of uh, you're using the language of, of kind of the pure or, or like the, the unfiltered story of Christianity. And you even talk about this in, in your in your new book, which congratulations uh, you, on your new buddies. book. It's so exciting. You use one significant metaphor and then you tie it in another way. So you, so you use the metaphor of spring is always coming. This idea of to put it into very Christian-y terms of, of, of resurrection new life is being birthed. You also talk about, and it doesn't quite exactly relate to what we were just talking about, but my mind went here. Uh, so I'm going so to read it because it's a direction that I think might be a really good direction to go. But you're talking about the end of Jesus's life as a crucifixion and how you were always being taught to feel bad for Jesus for how badly they beat him up. And then you say, there's something hidden in the story that feels much more powerful than that. And that is um, Jesus in some ways saying, watch me take on all the violence without giving violence in return. Watch me take on oppressive systems without becoming an oppressor. And I feel like for so many of us who grew up in this complicated place of, did faith actually help me? <laughs> There's also this, this something underneath, this hidden thing in there that you're getting at. That's the work of, right, reconstruction is saying like, because someone used that story in a certain way, because someone told us this is a perspective or lens, we should be looking at it because someone handed us a narrative, doesn't mean that that's the only option for that story. It doesn't mean that now that story is bad. And so much power, I feel like, comes in the reclamation of saying like, oh my God, that story is actually way more powerful than I ever thought. Like the reality that it will be our temptation to hurt people in the way we've been hurt, like, the reality that we can fight oppression without becoming oppressors, the reality that we can take on like systems without becoming like those systems, like that's very important for 2020. Like that's very important for where we are in this cultural moment. That's very important for my life. And I feel like it's such, I feel like a disservice 
sometimes to just throw out something because someone has told us to look at it from this angle when really there's so much beauty from from the other side but we don't want to we don't want to look at it at all anymore and so I feel like that's yeah kind of the work I've been in for a few years is like man what about this story is good and pure and true and what angle can I look at it from and yeah it's hard (laughs) yeah yeah It's hard. And you share in your book, like your, your your book, the title is Worth It, Overcoming Your Fears and Embrace the Life You Were Made For. I mean, this book is in some ways your story of working through a lot of that shit that was put on you. And I think one of my favorite things, even as we're talking about this right now, is like just even the fact of, of you admitting, like, I'm still in it. Like I, yeah, like I haven't figured sure. it out yet. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, still in it, still here, and in a different season of it. And and that's like the hopeful and startling reality. Sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, I'm still in it. It's a different season of it, but that means there are potentially endless seasons of this. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, no. is that is that hopeful or like a, a helpless thought? I have, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've been on this, like, I don't know if rampage is the right word, but that's the word that came to mind lately of, like, trying to remind myself and when I can folks around me that more than one thing can be true at the same time. And we are in such a heightened state of, like, either or right now. And I get it because we're in, like, an either you support this or you don't. Either you're this politically or you're not. Like, there are lines being drawn in the sand. And I just am afraid that that is spilling over into like areas of our life where it's actually not that. There is nuance, there is complexity. And so with faith or how we grew up or like, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I could just say like, oh, well that was shitty. Like, you know, because it was and it wasn't. So here we are, you know. And even being able to get to that place, I mean, tell me if this feels true to you or not. Get to that place of being able to say that was shitty and also it wasn't like that requires a lot of work yes so much you know okay i feel like you can tell i'm you specifically and you as in humanity but you specifically because you're a therapist (laughs) you know when you like you can say the same thing and it will be true from like work or it will be true from like i'm trying to make this true because i don't want to like go there you know what i mean i feel like i weirdly However many years ago, in 2016, what a year. I guess that was four years ago, because election. But that's also when I came out and also was no longer a pastor at, at, at that church. And so in my initial like month or so after leaving that, that mega church world, I remember saying like, yeah, but there's great people there. Or like, I had great, like, I was saying that to like avoid, like it wasn't real. I was like trying to, I was trying to not go there. And so it's wild to be saying, I'm saying the same thing, but from a very different place, like through like, oh no, this is hard work. And I have to battle with the reality of of the complexity and nuance of myself and allow that to like see complexity and nuance in other people. And that, that's hard. (sighs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That feels like such an important key point. Like that, like that thing of where we can literally be saying the exact same thing oh, there were good people there. And where one is kind of a defense mechanism, keeping us away from actually diving deeper into the reality of like, oh no, I'm actually really, really, really hurt. 
versus the four years later, 10 years later, looking back and, and realizing like, oh, no, I was really hurt. And there were good people there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like you, you're like, did I end up backwards? But <laughs> like, like, how did I get back here? I would just, you know, someone I have been doing like uh, anti-racism work, which everyone needs to and has and great. I mean, a part of that has been leading groups through an anti-racism training. And almost every single time someone says, like, as they are identifying either themselves or someone in their family who's racist, they say, but they're a really nice person. (laughs) And I am constantly finding myself saying, oh, they can be a nice person and racist. They can always tip 20% when they're at a restaurant. They can wave to the Amazon delivery person and leave Gatorade out and give cups of sugar to the neighbor and still have been very impacted by systemic racism. And that can play out in their everyday life. And there's just this reality of like, I've watched people try to grasp with like, is this person nice or are they racist? Is this person a good person or are they homophobic? Like, is this church, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, oh, we, I don't think we'll get anywhere if that's, if that's the question. Right. It's like that. You literally just said this, but like, is that, it's that holding like two things can be true at, at one time. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about when I am doing work with folks, how hard it is to start naming the reality of harm, especially with people that we love. And specifically, I think a, a lot of work, at least in, in therapy with folks is, is parental harm, right? Of where we, we so deeply love our parents and we're deeply hurt by our parents and some of the work and it can take, you know, a year or two years of therapy to be even able to get to the point of, of saying like, well, well, we're not saying this person's a bad person, right? We're, and we're not saying you don't love that person, but we're also working towards naming what is true about that person. And it doesn't do anyone any favors if we're only looking at, half of the reality or 25% of the reality. And and I think that's true in so many areas with parents, with, with race, with, with violence, like with all of these different things. It starts so early, you know, when you're like watching a movie, you're like, okay, who's the good person? Who's the bad person? You know, you have this narrative that like, there are good people and there are bad people. And the reality is there are people, each one with complexity and nuance that like, goes for days even myself i'm like i try to be a good person whatever that means but also i'm weird i could be selfish i'm like there's so many things that i'm like if i don't understand that about myself if i am so blind to my own nuance and my own complexity i will never be able to see the complexity nuance in my parents in the folks that i work with in my wife and like you said it is you you just described me in therapy like Or being in therapy and like, well, how do you feel like your parents contribute to that? And I'm like, they didn't. They're perfect. <laughs> My therapist was like, um. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, don't you know talk about them? You don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, she yeah. was like, okay. <laughs> like, uh, can I just come in here one week without you like reading me for filth? But, you know, like I, I get that. And I, it's hard, but it's so good and it just free it's you think that it will make things feel heavier but it actually brings some levity to to your life 
Right. I was just in here. I mean, I, I was going to say, like, I don't want to get super spiritual, but like, you are a pastor. So like, let's just do it. But like that, that idea of, and I, I think this is deeply true, whether we're talking about spiritual matters or just life in general, that, that idea of the truth will set you free. Like when we start actually naming what's truly happening in reality, instead of running away or focusing on just the good or just the bad, there's a freedom that comes simply in even being able to name that. I mean, just go ahead and preach then if you're going to (laughs) preach. If you're going to do it, do it. (laughs) But you're right. Like, I, I, I remember thinking like, and we've all thought, if I allow this feeling to be real, which by the way, it already is. But if I allow it to be true, if I accept it, if I acknowledge it, it will swallow me whole. And the reality is like, no, that is the thing that's going to set you free. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Like no one is saying like, and freedom is the best thing that ever happened. It's like, that will be hard, but it'll be so freeing. It will not swallow you whole. That's what's going to bring light. That's what's going to bring levity. Like that is what's going to bring like healing, wholeness, transformation. So yeah, I think if we spent as much time on our own healing as we did avoiding the things that are already true, we would be out here in the best way. I would love to hear a little bit about your story, your experiences with that. Like, I mean, there's the reality, like you just literally wrote a whole book about it. But for folks who aren't familiar with you, who have, who are listening to you on Queerology for the first time, who have never heard of Britt Barron before, would love to hear a little bit of, of that story and that wrestling with fear and naming what is true and, and stepping out of systems and into other things. Like, Well, I mean, I think like a lot of us who probably frequent this podcast grew up in the evangelical church, just like making it happen and really committed. found myself at a Christian college and then worked at a Christian a different Christian college and then worked at a mega church. And so at the ripe age of 26, I was this like woman pastor to mega church, which I was like, yeah, breaking down bantries and a, a woman of color at that. Right. Um, right. Which is no small thing. Right. <laughs> right. Which, you know, and I go back and forth. I'm like, I'm kind of proud of that. Like, but I'm not, you know, again, it's like one of those things where I'm like, yeah, like I broke down really racist, sexist walls. Like, but, into the wrong room. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I still broke them. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the glass ceiling that's like into the wrong sky. But um, but I did it. <laughs> and so, and you know, there's hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I, I, I don't have one of those stories where I was like, and all along I, I really like wrestled with my sexuality or, or, or anything like that. I think I, I was so distant from it that I didn't even, I didn't realize I hadn't put the pieces together, you know, which is such a funny thing. And I, and I always say this, it's like, that was such a funny place to be closeted because when you're like, wow, I, I'm not even tempted to have sex with men. People be like, wow. Um, <laughs> but like, I thought like maybe I was just super ho- like holy, you know, like, I, like, no, it never occurred to me that like I'm gay, you know, like, um, so then when I was, literally my first month at that job as a pastor at that mega church, I met a girl who wanted to volunteer for my ministry. You know what I mean? And I was like, what is happening? How is a human being created? Who is this like 
fun and beautiful and bright and and amazing. Like I was like weirdly obsessed with her, like, you know, in a honestly creepy way at the time, not realizing <laughs> we were romantically attracted to each other. And so, you know, we we went the next several months before realizing like, oh my gosh, what this is, is, is actually more. And, you know, it's like in the movies where you look back and it's like, da, 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 like fast, like flash of every moment that like is confirming this that you like never put together. And so that unfortunately was three years before I finally left. And so, by the way, when I say like, you just got to let the true thing be true. I'm not saying that out of shame. I'm saying that out of like, I get how hard that is. I did that for a long time. And we'll probably do it again about something. And so eventually was was able to be like, this is a good thing about me. This is an amazing thing about me. This love for this woman is pure and good and true and left left that world I knew behind in pursuit of that. And we got married and we now do other things. Interestingly enough, I became a pastor again at a different kind of church, obviously. And that was really very so important for me in my healing and yeah now i am just a person who who wants to share messages of freedom and share things that i've learned along the way and am learning because i really wish i had access to that when i was when i was in those three years hey i'm interrupting because i want to tell you about my new book beyond shame Whether you grew up in the repressive purity culture of evangelical Christianity or not, all of us have been taught in subtle and not-so-subtle ways that sex and sexuality, outside of very specific contexts, is immoral and taboo. That's why I wrote Beyond Shame, creating a healthy sex life on your own terms. In Beyond Shame, I help you pinpoint the coping mechanisms you use to manage shame. Then we uncover the lies you've been told about sex and sexuality and give you a framework for helping you move beyond it. Stop living in shame and fear and move into a life of confidence and flourishing. Sound like something you want? Pick up a copy of Beyond Shame today wherever you buy books. And remember, most local bookstores are shipping faster than the big online stores right now. When you're done with it, shoot me a note. I can't wait to hear what you think. You can tell the story in your book of I think it was somewhere kind of in this in between stage of where you're you're not you haven't quite come out yet but you're getting ready to start coming out. This story felt like it hit home to me in in ways of of where you start worrying about what your like dad's friend's oh, yeah. <laughs> son is going to think about you coming out who you haven't like talked to in like 20 years yes. can you tell that story because <laughs> yeah, like, i was like i was like oh my gosh like <laughs> no it's it's so weird because you think like you would think okay i'm thinking about my mom my aunt like but the the list of people i was thinking about in preparation of like coming out was so wide so deep so unending it was the love of god and um <laughs> And there was like this, my dad had an old coworker who like, they don't even work together anymore. And the coworker had a son who, yes, I had not seen in like legitimately 20 years or something like, and I just remember like back in middle school, he was super conservative, the son. And I just remember like a whole day thinking like, man, what's he going to think when he finds out? And I tell him, like, what am I, what am I doing? What am I actually doing? Like, I'm going to make a major life decision 
like based on my dad's old coworker's son. Like we don't even follow each other on social media. That's how like, it's not even like we are peripherally connected. I don't even know. I mean, like blesses. I mean, is he a lot? You know what I mean? I'm like, he, I truly know nothing <laughs> about this kid. All I remember is like one conservative comment he made in middle school. And like, that's the, that's the weird thing about having a secret or, or having something about you that you think is going to disqualify you from people's love is the, you hang on to like little comments they've said from forever ago. I remember one of my friends one of my best friends and she's super affirming and, you know, but that was her own evolution probably along with, with mine. But like, you know, we've been friends since we were 17. And I remember her saying something one time at the mall. And this is so weird. But like, I remember someone walking up to us like, and was like, hey, do you support, at the time it was like gay rights, because it was like 2003. Do you support gay rights? Yeah. And then I just remember her being like, no. And you know, she has since, I mean, she was like in our wedding, she's literally one of my best friends in the entire world. But like, I remember, I remember before I told her, like thinking about that, like she said no, you know, in 2002. And it's just, it's, it's, your mind is working so hard in overtime for like unnecessary shit. I mean, that's so real, so relatable. I, I mean, I just feel like that speaks to the power of fear, which like you've, you're engaging with in so many different ways in this book of, of talking about how do we actually work with this fear and, and the reality that is very normal ridiculous but normal for us to think about that you know one kid in middle school who may hear through the grapevine and we make decisions based off of that like, like big decisions <laughs> like, <laughs> like major like, decisions <laughs> Jeez. Like, oh my gosh yes and i'm so curious about like so even as you went through this process of writing this book and of kind of putting on paper these things that you've learned about working with fear and, and your story and your journey, like what even came up for you in fear, like the fear of even putting this out into the world? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, what's funny. Are you, what's your Enneagram? I am a seven through oh, and through. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, great. You're going to get this. <laughs> I, as a good seven, Flower Boy took me three years to be like, okay, I can do this. I had, I have, and I still wrestle with this, like, this thing that I do where I'm like, oh, I did a hard thing. Like, I came out. So I figured that out. I, I did fear. And then I won. And then now I don't have to do fear again. Right. Um, it's, it's my general <laughs> thing. And I remember, I remember literally... Like this, this episode is sponsored by my therapist, Abby. Um, <laughs> I remember being in therapy, like talking about the book and being like, I don't know, man, there's just a lot of people like, what are they going to think about this book? And she was like, so the book is about, yeah, I was like, the book is about getting over the fear of like what people are going to think about being gay. But what are they going to think about the book? That scares me. <laughs> she was like do you see um and i was like no no it's not fear because i already did that i already i already (laughs) already did fear and i'm i'm done with it forever so this is something this is something else um which is which is so it's such a like like consistent lesson in my life that like i did not do fear and i'm done i had an encounter with fear that should continue to inform how i encounter it when it comes again like this is not like uh, okay i i made it to level two now there's no more of that fear it's like no man this this is 
being a human is the hardest job we will ever have. And in it comes fear and shame. And it's like you, like you, you know, you don't do shame. And then you're like, oh, thank God. Got that monkey off my back. Like, you you know what I mean? Like, it's like <laughs> you just, you, you learn, you see it from a different angle. My, my wife, Sammy, she always says, that are, I don't know how she phrases it. She doesn't say issues because she's better than that, but I'm going to say that. Um, but imagine her saying it better. But basically, like, our issues are, imagine it like a spiral staircase. And, like, we're walking up as we go through life. And so we get to see them from different angles. But we'll see them every time we make a loop, you know? They're there. And and that's how I feel about fear. I'm Man, I'm, I'm in this. And every lap around the sun or the staircase I, I get to see it from a different angle but i'm still i'm still looking at it i love that metaphor because that feels so true to experience and, and i feel like you also make the point very early on in your book of this sense in some ways of almost though where we have a choice of, of to continue this metaphor of the staircase to keep moving up the staircase or to just stay on the next step right like to just stop and I mean, your, your whole book is kind of also like this, this thing of like, well, what does it actually look like to keep going, to keep pressing on instead of stagnating? Yeah. And a lot of what I sort of write about in the book and, and believe to be true in life, and some of this came from the church very early on, and some of this came, comes from me being a seven, but I made the association that if it's the right thing to do, it will be the easy thing. Like if it's right, it will be the thing that has no tension if it's right, it will be the thing that's not hard. It will be the thing that doesn't disappoint anyone. It'll be the thing that makes people happy. It will be like, that's what the right thing to do is. And (laughs) breaking that association is absolutely fundamental to like moving towards healing in your life. Because very quickly I learned like, oh my gosh, the good stuff in life, the true and healing stuff in life is hard. And that's what makes it good. It's not easy. And that's what makes it beautiful. Like people will be upset and that's what gives them the opportunity to, to figure out their stuff. Like it's, it's not about appeasing everyone and life should feel like a party if you're doing it right. It's like, oh man, like this got hard and then it got light again and then it got hard again. And I think that's okay. That's not a sign that I'm doing it wrong. Oh yeah, that feels huge. The that part of like when things get hard is so easy to to think like, oh, I'm what am I doing wrong? When like, no, that's actually in some ways what life is. Well, and I I always hate that, but <laughs> I know. I mean, I wish I'm saying that like sometimes when I talk, I'm like, I just want everyone to know if you're listening. I'm I'm saying this is all like I wish I lived this every day too. <laughs> I'm not saying this is like, and that's why me and Richard Rohr are the same oh <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm saying this because like damn i need i need to remember that i need to write them it's, taking notes it's aspirational yes, yes, it's, yes. It's very aspirational. <laughs> that's why i started the center for action and contemplation <laughs> And I I feel like this even ties in, though, to this idea of, because in some ways, like, even as you say it, like, for as as aspirational as it is, there's also this sense of you have tasted what you're talking about, right? Like, you've experienced parts of this, of of where there's more growth, but you know it, and you know it well. And, And 
in near the end of your book, you, you make this point of there's a whole chapter on like freedom isn't freedom unless it's shared. So I feel like even in, the, in you talking about it, like you're sharing with us some of the freedom that you have found and the freedom that you're looking for. Yeah, it's I do believe that. Right. Like, you know, freedom is only real when it's shared. And and I have found it. And, and the first thing I wanted to do in the way that I found it was like, I need to share this because I think I only found it because of folks who had shared with me. And the next evolution of my life is only going to come from people who continue to share. Right. In a weird twist of topics, but it's going to circle back. I want to golf. There's like three friends, three of us who are like, let's make golf our thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, my wife, of course, of course, she is like an outstanding golfer. Okay. <laughs> like, it's like shocking how good she is. She was on the varsity golf in high school. I was like, I, I don't even know you could do that. So we go to the driving range this weekend just to like, you know, practice. And it is so frustrating, like one, to not be good at it. And then to just like focus, take a deep breath, get your feet set, bend your knees, straighten your hips, grab the club like up and then just hit grass, like just straight grass. And then there was this like one beautiful moment where like I got direct club to ball contact. Like it went straight, it went far, it went kind of high. And I literally said, this is like, you know, we're like 30 minutes in. I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to do anymore because that was the best one <laughs> that I'll ever do. You know, and then of course everyone's like, no, come on. And the frustration of like hitting it and then hitting grass again and then hitting it kind of and then hitting half of it and then hitting grass again. I just remember thinking like, this has something to teach me and I'm upset because I just wanted to golf and like drink beer with my friends. But I think it's it's the same as the freedoms that we find. Like nothing felt as good as like walking in that room, telling the church I was done, like walking down the aisle with my wife, like posting that blog, like leaving, like moving, like nothing felt that good. It was like direct club to ball contact. Like it was just soaring. And then there's another situation that comes up in my life and I just hit grass and I hit grass again and I'm like, ah, you know, and, and the reality is like, I, I don't just get to say like, I did it once and I'm going to stop trying. It's like, no, I, I, I'm going to keep trying. And there's going to be people along the way that are like, hey, let me tell you this thing I learned. Let me tell you this thing I learned. And as you collect that, you have more hits and more hits, but it's a grind. And I don't even say that as a negative thing. Like I've started to see the beauty in that of like every time I hit grass thinking like, oh, it's going to feel so good when I hit the ball. <laughs> And it gives me weird hope. Yeah, weird hope feels like a technical term there, right? Like, because <laughs> that kind of hope is so weird. And yet it's there. And you also say in the book, I feel like you're just taking every single one of my conversation points that I had and just like setting them up for me. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> we should do a joint thing. I love it. <laughs> But, but you also make the point of healing or as, as moving forward in life as being something that isn't avoiding these hard things, that isn't avoiding the wounding, the difficulties, but instead is something that is that is facing these things head on, going directly into them and moving through them. I mean, in some ways, that's exactly what you were just saying, but that feels like such an important point. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I always 
say, and by always, I mean, I literally started saying this like a few months ago and I'm like, I'm going to stick with that. (laughs) (laughs) Is like, I don't have hope because I think everything will be better tomorrow. I have hope because I believe there is a tomorrow. And that's an opportunity that maybe things will get better. And maybe I'll just keep having to dig into this hard. But like the fact that there is more is hopeful. And I don't have to decide what has to be in that more to have hope. I just get to have hope that there is more. And in that way, I can stop trying to do a classic comedy callback joke, except none of these are jokes. In that way, I don't have to cram a life experience into good or bad. I don't have to choose that binary. I don't have to do that because in that more, I can be hopeful that I will find something. And I don't have to carry the burden of trying to figure out what it is. I just get to to be there for it. At the very beginning of your book, you talk about this idea of arrival and of of how you kind of realize like any time that I thought I had arrived, I realized pretty quickly that I hadn't. That is not an exact quote. You said it so much better than that. Yeah, but that's basically the quote, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, like, arrival is something that, that never happens. I mean, that's permeated throughout this entire conversation that we've been having. But I, but I know for me, I always, like, in this, I don't know if this is a seven thing. I don't think it's a seven thing. But, like, there's always that, like, next point <laughs> to, to get to. Like, okay, once I'm there, then I will have arrived. Like, you know, a few months ago, it was like writing a book. And <laughs> now it's like writing another book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with that question. Other because that wasn't even a question. It was just like a statement. But like this, this idea of, of arrival. And every time I thought I had arrived, I was wrong. That's the name of the chapter. Yeah, that is the name of the chapter. That's the name of my life. And every time I think I've made it, I've been wrong. And that's not a disheartening thing. It's all pushing this part of my life. The grown up part, I call it, has all been pushing me to to like get out of my head that there is an end. Get out of my head that there's like this goal, this point of arrival, this magic moment and get it into my head that like I am doing it. I am being, I'm here, I'm in this. And that's the special thing. It's not like, oh, won't it be cool when I get X, right? And 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 our lives have been set up in a way where in the last eight months, if it was about arriving, it, it would have driven me nuts because every time I arrived, it would seem like the target shifted. Like I launched a digital course a month before I launched a book that launched, I think, three weeks before I moved halfway across the country, which happened right before I had to speak like it was like big moment after big moment after big moment just stacked on each other and like trying to find the special in each one you know before you're like okay gotta move on and it's it's you know sometimes that in life too right like if I can understand this thing if I could get over this trauma if I could fix this anxiety trigger if I could do that then I'll be like no we're just we're just we are and stop trying to arrive like I think in that chapter I also talk about like, I used to feel in in my Christian religious life, I used to feel like certitude was to be praised. Like this person knows that they know that they know, like that's even the language, like I know that I know that I know. Um, That's the language you use. And it's all about arrival. It's about believing something and then believing that specific thing forever. Like you arrive at your faith, you ask Jesus to be in your heart and you never waver. And so I had to shake that and be like, you know, what if this 
the whole thing just keeps evolving. Like I keep getting asked like on, on podcasts or different things, like what's my spiritual life like now? Or like, what's my faith like now? I hate that question. Literally. (laughs) And I just keep saying, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not (laughs) fragile. Like the whole thing is less fragile. You could tell me right now that like God is in smoke of feathers. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Things I used to think were like mumbo jumbo. I'm like, sure. Why can't God be in that? I'm not afraid that I'm going to look behind a curtain or flip over a rock and it's going to tell me God isn't real, which is something I was legitimately afraid of before. The whole thing has expanded because I keep expanding. So I'm like, great. You want to do a a full moon ceremony and get hair of a wolf and smoke? Go Great. I like you cannot crack my faith because it's not fragile. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, geez, like this is going to be fun. I just keep trying to catch up to this. Like, let's go. Oh, I love it. I mean, for some reason, as you were talking, like <laughs> the, the lyrics to Miley Cyrus as the climb came to Absolutely, mind. Absolutely. They should have. <laughs> Thank God. Yes. <laughs> it's just that power ballad. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> what we need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Miley, come back. 2020, we need you. <laughs> it's the climb. It's, it's the climb. climb. Oh, Britt. So what advice would you have for folks who are starting out on this journey, in the middle of this journey, who are looking at big, huge fears in their lives and thinking about what that one kid in middle school said to that one time? What advice do you have? I honestly feel like I said this the last time on your show, but I, I was on a podcast recently and someone asked me a really fascinating question. They're like, if you had a magic wand, and I was like, say more. And they were like, you could bop everyone on the head and they could know one thing. What would it be? And I was like, oh, and truly, if I could bop everyone on the head and they could know one thing, it would just be a reminder to trust yourself. You've got to trust your gut. Like you are good. Like who you are is good. And you have to know that and you have to trust that. You know, I I can't give advice for specific circumstances or nuances of your own, but I can say that trusting yourself in the process will be the greatest gift that you give because you're good. How can people find your work? You can find my work on Instagram at Britt Barron or BrittBarron.com. And your book, Worth It. My book is called Worth It. You can get it just about anywhere books are sold. It has a big bright yellow cover that makes me happy. And I hope it makes you happy too. I love your book cover, Britt. Like, seriously, the the moment y'all released it, I was like, ugh, that is a good book cover. Yeah, that's, so, that's all Sammy, though. So. Props to Sammy. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me. This has been a blast. I know. I love it here. Be sure to go pick up a copy of Britt's new book, Worth It. Overcome your fears and embrace the life you were made for. And you can find that wherever you buy books. Britt's very active on Instagram at Britt Barron, uh, and you can find out more about her over on her website, BrittBarron.com. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with the support from its active listeners. To find out how you can become an active listener and keep Queerology on the air, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear in the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next time, y'all. Bye! Thank you.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.